I remember her calling me and being like, hey, they want to do something. I was like, what? She's like, holograms. And I'm like, we don't know how to do that. And she's like, yeah, we'll figure it out. It's fine. And so we ended up buying the same system they used for Tupac with the remaining money we had. Like, I think we both put in like five or 10 grand when we started the company. That was all the money I had. And uh, we did a hologram of Nikki Romero at this event that barely worked until like 20 minutes before the event. It was terrifying. We were going to pull out. We had no idea what we were doing. We knew less than nothing about all of this. This is Finding Founders, a podcast showcasing the vibrant entrepreneurial spirit of Los Angeles and my journey to find the founders responsible. I'm Samuel Donner, and today on the show, we're talking about holograms. Now, you are probably most familiar with this tech from a little movie called Star Wars. Well, holograms are actually real, and Ben Conway, co-founder of the company Ventana, has been turning what was once science fiction into science fact. Ventana is on the bleeding edge of an augmented and virtual reality revolution that will drastically change how we perceive the world. But on the road to change, the world presented a lot of unexpected twists, turns, and pitfalls. When I went to visit Ventana's office, Ben said hi, told me to follow him, and subsequently led me past the dozen or so people working in offices through a back door. Suddenly, the small offices expanded into a cavernous warehouse full of massive, tilted glass panels. Is this like, like your showcase? Uh, this is like, yes, this is kind of like where we started out yeah. doing is size holograms. Ben led me in front of the biggest panel, typed a few commands on the computer behind me, and with what seemed like magic, this football player rose yeah. out of the ground into view. I was floored, and I wondered how Ben, who seemed like a straight chiller, came to be at the forefront of this impressive and cutting-edge technology. Well, to understand Ben's present, let's plunge into his past. His early interest in entrepreneurship and technology was mainly fueled by two things. His dad and BattleBots. Our uh, remote control cars into BattleBots and and battling them out on the driveway with my brothers. My dad was always showing us like how to fix things around the house. And also he's got his own business. He does wealth management. So I knew at a pretty early age that I wanted to work for myself. What about your dad and doing his own business attracted you to that lifestyle? I just saw like the freedom he had. In some ways he was way less free because you're never fully off the clock. Like those responsibilities are still his but he was always able to be there for us and was in charge of his own destiny i saw that and i really admired that i worked with him when i was younger i mean we used to go there since i was like seven and we'd help out with like things that probably weren't that helpful but like shining the shoes and shredding papers and whatever but one of the things that it really taught me is i don't want to have a boss (laughs) Uh, especially when it's your dad you can be like come on dad like don't (laughs) make like you know he's nitpicking at things ben could only get so much responsibility from his dad's office So eventually his dad gave him a swift kick from the homely nest into the unknown. In high school, my dad told me to get a job over the summer, not working for him. And I was like, yeah, yeah, I'll get one. And then I didn't. And then I found myself working at the Orange County Fair, like in the kids park for like $6 an hour. And I was like, oh my God, I never want to do that again. And so it was poorly run. It was like kids going all over the place that didn't want to be there. It was parents that didn't really want to be watching their kids so it was just like not 
not a super fun experience. Yeah. So when you say poorly run, like you also seem to have like your own way of thinking about doing things. How did that continue on later into like college? Your perception of like, I can do this better. Yeah. Or did you have that perception? I absolutely had that perception. And as I got older, I realized that I may not be as smart as I thought <laughs> I was in college. In college, I definitely was like, oh yeah, I can, I can definitely figure this out. I'm smart. I'll be able to figure this out. Equipped with a taste of the tedious nature of the nine to five and an inflated view of his competence, Ben waltzed into USC's campus as a business major, excited to learn applicable real world skills and broaden his knowledge of the business world. Did what you imagined business school being and what you actually experienced line up? Not at all. I'm actually not very interested in business. I don't find it fascinating. Like I find the teams within business really interesting and the way that they work together and how to maximize the use of people, which all go into it. But like business gets often described through a really competitive paradigm, survival of the fittest, a lot of war metaphors and analogies. And like that's never been something that's really intrigued me. I've always been really intrigued by people building things and who are the people that were able to like figure out how to do that. That's what's interesting. So like the leadership potential. Like the leadership potential and also the freedom to do something different. College was the first time I really realized this is that like the world is kind of held together by duct tape and that all these people you think have a plan and it's all really structured. It's not often the case. It's a lot more on the fly than you realize. And so how did you realize that? I saw what I had heard, whether it was about drugs or needing to try hard in school or needing to do really well. Like if you do really well at X, then Y will happen. And then in college, I started to realize that wasn't the case at all. And there were people who were dicking around and still doing really well, or there were like some professor who had made a boatload of money doing something who didn't match up with what an ideal businessman or person would be doing. And then I was like, well, if that's the case, then I can kind of do whatever I I want. Ben was liberated by this new philosophy, and I can see why. Many of the barriers in front of us are social constructs, and we so rarely defy these constructs because they suppress the very creativity required to overcome them. When creativity is paired with drive, you can remove the duct tape that holds the world together and customize your own reality. Grabbing hold of some duct tape and his life, Ben started his first business. My brother and I imported sunglasses from China. So we realized that like no one at USC had USC sunglasses, which was kind of like wild because it's Southern California. And so we went down to the fashion district and knocked on legitimately every door who would like have a small enough minimum order quantity. And we finally found someone who would sell to us for like, I think we had like $2,000 or something like that. We started importing sunglasses from China and we called them game day and like selling them on campus for like 20 bucks a piece illegally and all over the place and we were actually making like a pretty good amount of money the first batch was great like this is always the case with china and then as soon as we got under the first layer of like the big box full of hundreds of sunglasses people's faces were getting dyed red we found out that like hard alcohol took off like the writing on the side so like people would come back to us after we'd sold them glasses especially when they were like sweating which was often at you know usc football games and they looked like raccoons with like red <laughs> oh eyes God. yeah how did you like handle that <laughs> we usually gave them a drink and gave them another pair <laughs> i'd spend hours in my room with my brother wiping down sunglasses they were like the ray-ban style so they had those like little silver things on the edges on the front and we'd be there like super gluing them back onto the sunglasses that sounds like super tedious yeah it was super tedious why why put in all that time like why were you so inspired to sell sunglasses at usc we just wanted to make some money and i didn't want to get a job doing something else <laughs> 
there was part of it of just me being probably arrogant and thinking that most people didn't know what they were talking about this was like more fun and more exciting and like it just we got to do what we wanted and had a lot of creative freedom with it and i wouldn't have that somewhere else we tried trying to like push it through the licensing process because we realized that like if you use colors uh associated with an organization they can't trademark the colors but they can trademark the kind of combination of colors in certain settings and so we were trying to like push through that process and then basically we just kind of got lazy to be perfectly honest it was really bureaucratic and kind of painful and uh as soon as it kind of stopped being fun neither one of us was like super interested in like sunglasses or fashion or really wanting to like blow that up so we kind of just let it die and we ended up selling the rest of our inventory to Allstate actually when we knew someone over there and they were like well we'll buy the rest of them from you and we're like sweet <laughs> so you sold that business or sold that this, would be, that'd be putting it generously yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you sold your first uh, business <laughs> yeah exactly it'll go on my LinkedIn profile successful exit now Ben was the go-to sunglasses guy, and that reputation led him to Ashley. My co-founder, Ashley, she also went to USC, and my best friend's wife was in the same sorority as Ashley. And so they introduced Ashley and I after college. Why? Because Ashley was looking at doing like designer 3D glasses for movie theaters because all the ones were so ugly. Like This was like that long ago that 3D movies were going to be a big thing. And she was like, this might be interesting. They were like, well, Ben imported sunglasses from China. <laughs> Ashley's like, Ben knows glasses. Ashley was getting them from like Madagascar we became friends and kind of kicked around the idea of some businesses or whatever but it wasn't really anything we would test out her glasses like by going not we didn't buy a 3d tv we'd go to best buy but with a box of glasses and put on different glasses was it exciting I think it was just more fun at that time like there was no plan with with that really and I don't I, she was also just I think exploring it having graduated from USC with a successful exit under his belt Ben entered the working world and it was it was I'll just let him tell you. It was like getting hit by a bus. One of my professors had said, if you don't know what business you want to start, like learn how to sell. And ADP, the payroll company, is one of the best places to go and learn that. The caveat is you have to sell payroll. And that was... That was brutal. I was like the lowest performing sales rep. And then all of a sudden, after knocking on enough doors, like something switched. I actually became quite good at selling payroll and then did that for about a year and a half and then decided I just really could not do it anymore. I really, really did not like doing it. You can ask my parents. They were so <laughs> sick of hearing me complain about that job. So I quit I quit that and bought a, a one-way ticket to China and spent the next like five and a half months backpacking all throughout Southeast Asia. Before Ben could even think about packing up his backpack for shenanigans abroad, entrepreneurship dominated his daily thoughts. Game Day Glasses had given him the entrepreneurial bug, and he had been itching to create a new business. So he decided that this trip to China would be a business opportunity. But before doing that, like the plan was that I would figure out something really exciting there. Like from doing Game Day Glasses, I was like, there's got to be, there's got to be something I can bring over from like the U.S. to Asia or the Asia back to the U.S. Like I had planned to start an import export company. I built a fake website. I got fake business cards made before I went, called it Von Bondi Imports. Oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> Sounds very fancy. That was like from a band name that I liked, the Von <laughs> Bondies. They had one song and uh, it never came into play at all. Why didn't it come into play? I was just kind of seeing what was going to happen and I legitimately did not see any opportunities that I was like, oh, this is something I could do or I could do that. And I was just kind of like seeing what is it like to be an American here? What are things that I am used to 
and need in the U.S. that I do not have here? And do these people need it? And more often than not, I found out they don't freaking need it. <laughs> Did you take anything back from the trip? I mean, it took a lot back in terms of experience, just more and more of like that reinforcement that you really have a lot of freedom in this life to do a lot of like different things. Like if you ask, that's 90% of it. It's just asking or maybe not even asking, just doing and then maybe asking for forgiveness. Realizing that his hopes of divine inspiration of the Asian business persuasion would never come to fruition, Ben set out to just enjoy travel. He hopped around all of Asia until seemingly out of the blue, an entrepreneurial opportunity came to him. And then when I was in Nepal, Ashley started hitting me up. She's like, I've got this idea. Like, I want to like live stream concerts to these like other venues. She had like made a connection with like Steve Aoki. And I was like, wow, this is kind of like an interesting idea. What was the idea? Well, the idea was like live streaming concerts to like venues around the world. Just say like Steve Aoki was playing New York. Like, what if you could be at a club in Lincoln, Nebraska and like kind of like a watch party, but like in a club. So it was more of like a real environment. And you sell tickets for 20 bucks instead of 40 bucks or whatever. I was like editing emails back and forth and helping her like kind of draft correspondence with Steve Aoki's manager. I remember Ashley and she'll tell you this like she's like I need to get I need, why have you responded like I need to hear back from you on this and I'm like I'm on a mountain in Nepal right now like what is going on? Sitting up on this mountain in Nepal Ben started to think about this idea. The more he thought about it, the more excited he became. But I do specifically remember being with these two friends we had made, Vivek and Samatha, who were from New York, doing part of the Annapurna circuit in the Himalayas and talking to them about this and telling them, like, I think I'm going to do this when I get back. Maybe this is a really good idea. Like, I think I'm going to come back and, like, work on this with my friend Ashley. And so this sounds kind of cool. It's like music and there's some technology and, like, that sounds right up my alley. And then Ashley and I kind of kept talking more. When I got back, I went to her apartment and we started working on this full time and just never looked back. So I never got another job after that. Ben was ready to get down to work. And so what were those first steps? I think the first place we started really doing it was like figuring out how the technology worked. So live streaming really sucked back then. It seems weird now, but it was like you'd watch like a live stream of a festival or something like that and audio would be like seven seconds behind the video. It'd be ridiculous, like all sorts of problems. And also the quality of the audio, it was getting super compressed. So you couldn't put it through big sound systems because it would suck. We started diving into that and digging into that and then trying to solve around like, okay, well, if these venues don't have internet or like it's not really good like how do we get temporary internet there and, and then just kind of trying to talk to different people within music i mean i don't really know you're just kind of throwing a bunch of stuff at the wall like it was a flurry of activity not a lot of it super directed yeah and it's also like this is like a super technical endeavor that you're like venturing on it was a pretty technical endeavor and also just like you are trying to get artists on board you've got to get the venues on board you've got to get a promoter on board you've got to get the management on board you've got to get the agency on board. it's just like so many people to get involved to say yes and that's and even any before one the of them, technology yeah it's even before the technology and any one of them could blow it all up that ended up being a huge issue for us Ben really didn't know what he was getting himself into but a lot of times entrepreneurship is less about having a concrete idea and more about a flurry of activity that Ben mentioned earlier Ben had limited knowledge of the music scene knew less about the music industry and knew absolutely nothing about the hardware but he barreled headfirst into the problem with the goal of figuring it out along the way. So they started to shop the idea around to gauge interest. We had gotten some buy-in, but artists were saying they didn't want to place concerts in the U.S. because they were worried it was going to cannibalize ticket sales. And so we said, how about Asia? I had just gotten back from there. They were like, oh yeah, that'd be cool. Having been business partners for all of like six to eight weeks, we decided to fly to 
Asia and visited 104 nightclubs in 42 days in 13 cities on $5,000 between the two of us, including flights. We were staying in hell holes, (laughs) but we had gotten a fake video produced. Ashley had a friend who worked at the mill. It was just like a post-production company and got them to help us make a video where we took clips from YouTube and we threw a party at a bar that Ashley was running the lights at. So she had taken a leave of absence from BP, was a light jockey at a bar to learn more about this because like this was kind of the idea. And she's like, well, I should get some experience through a concert or like a party in quotes the Sunday after Halloween because that's when they let us have the bar for free. Filmed a video with a checkerboard and then created this reel that we showed people in Asia that made it look like we're throwing these concerts all the time. It actually looked pretty good. We'd go up to the club managers and we would tell them that we worked with American DJs and we'd give them a list of DJs that we definitely didn't work with but said we worked with and show them this video and be like, they're interested in doing something like this at your club. Are you interested? And we just did that night after night and would sit down on the curb and like write down all of our notes after we like met with this manager and like talk to them about it. And like, what was their response? We got, I'd say we like realistically like seven that were like, yeah, I'm in. This sounds awesome. So we were super stoked. We thought the trip was a success. And then we got back and artists were like, yeah, we don't want to do that. <laughs> Wait, why? Well, number one, they're super fickle. Working in music is a really, really hard place to make money for that reason and for a lot of other reasons. Number two, that was around the time when they were starting to get more and more blowback of being like DJs because we were focused on electronic music labeled as button pushers. And so they were like, no, because like we need to be there in person to maintain the integrity of our brand and our like live experience. And so that idea hit a major roadblock. But again, entrepreneurship is not about the initial idea. It's about the evolution of the idea and the commitment to the process. Ben and Ashley pivoted to something that seems kind of random. We didn't stop, though. Ashley pitched holograms in a meeting with Paradigm Talent Agency. Uh, holograms? Yeah. How did you guys get from... Pulled it out of her ass, honestly. It was, like, ridiculous. I remember her calling me and being like, hey, they want to do something. I was like, what? She's like, holograms. And I'm like we don't know how to do that. And she's like, yeah, we'll figure it out. It's fine. And so we ended up buying the same system they used for Tupac with the remaining money we had. Like, I think we both put in like five or 10 grand when we started the company. That was all the money I had. And uh, we did a hologram of Nikki Romero at this event that barely worked until like 20 minutes before the event. Can you tell me about that experience of like setting all this up? And, it was like, terrifying. We were going to pull out. We had no idea what we were doing. We knew less than nothing about all of this. We really could have gotten some expert advice and saved ourselves a lot of heartache. So we found some production guy named Jeff. We got him to agree to help us, but I don't think he really knew what he was doing either. (laughs) We just kind of like figured it out because we had to. And at that time, I was living in some woman's house who lived with her son, and I was sharing a room with my buddy Eric because it was cheap enough. And yeah. like sleeping in a twin bed. It was a weird, weird <laughs> time, but I was committed to making it happen. Something about like how entrepreneurs don't end up doing things because they think they can succeed. It's only because they make promises that they have to keep. It's only when they find themselves in the middle of like, oh shit situations that they make things happen. We kind of took that ethos through the rest of the company for a long time. A lot of times we'd make a promise knowing that it was a pretty ridiculous promise to make. But once you're committed, then you're like, well, I got to figure out how to make it happen one way or another. Although the details of how this technology works is under wraps, I can tell you what it looks like. It's a massive tilted piece of glass, which seems to have a projected image on it. But when you are in front of the stage, it looks like the image is really there. It's almost indistinguishable from the real thing. So Ben and Ashley had committed to making Tupac-level holograms, and they were determined to deliver. 
And so how did that Tupac hologram actually work out? It was actually really good. So Paul Oakenfold was there, who's like uh, one of the, the godfathers of like trance music. Like he's been around a real long time. He was at that event. He saw it. I talked to him. I did not realize it was him at that event. And he emailed us saying like, I'd love to do something like this. So we got what we wanted, which was like enough interest. So he was very generous with his time and we ended up playing a free set for us. It was terrible. It was so <laughs> bad. Nothing worked. We had it, the demo set up in our office in like this warehouse place we were running in Santa Monica. We fit everything in my Forerunner. I had Ashley hanging her head out the window because I couldn't see when I had to like turn lanes because the car was so full. Set it up, broke it down at like three in the morning. We drove back. We had to re set everything up because we had AEG coming into the office like the next day at like 9 a.m. So we slept for like 45 minutes so we could do this demo for them again. It was terrible. The demo with AEG went really well, even though nothing really came from that. Ventana was struggling to survive and they were burning through cash quickly. We just raised 100K and spent most of it. Wait, so you raised 100K? Like how did that even happen? If I were to tell you the whole story of how this went from A to B, we'd run out of time. But that was through someone I had worked for in college. We'd convinced them to like put in money. And I remember back then when they told us like they're like we don't understand electronic music or djs or any of that but we bet on the jockey and not on the horse with friends now invested and depending on their success ben and ashley moved forward as best they could seemingly out of nowhere a random connection gave the company a shimmer of hope a girl that my brother had dated i love all these connections (laughs) and this is how it works though man this is how it goes i met her at a bar one night and told her what we did and she worked at an agency and she's like hey could you do a hologram concert for Nokia? And I was like, yes, we can. Absolutely. (laughs) Please. Yeah. And then Nokia got acquired by Microsoft. And so the Microsoft was a client. So we ended up doing a hologram concert in Chicago. That was also a total nightmare setting up. We still, again, did not really know what we were doing. Um, But we pulled it off. But you were getting paid? Yeah, we got paid. Got paid like 40 grand or something. And it looked really good. And so we did this concert for a brand. And we're like, well, brands paid. And it was way easier than working with a musician. We're like, we should focus on brands. We ended up getting Dell to do an event with us. And then we did something for Pepsi. Did it feel fast? No. No. <laughs> Felt incredibly slow. Why? There's so much going on and there's so much on the line that time in entrepreneurship, I think, is like super screwed up. So like you feel like it's been weeks since someone's responded to your email sometimes, like when you know, you're running low on cash or whatever, and you'll be like, oh, it's been a day. I emailed them yesterday. <laughs> I literally emailed them yesterday. There's so much that happens in a day or a week that time gets really distorted. So it felt like it was slow because you want it to move fast and you're trying and you're like, oh, this is a great idea. This is a great new way to market the product, whatever it might be. And you can keep hitting these different walls and barriers. And so finding product market fit for us really took a lot of perseverance. Perseverance is hard enough when the odds are stacked against you. But Ben was really tested when people both inside and outside the company were trying to sabotage his vision. Was there ever a point that you wanted to give up or like throw in the towel? Like, and like, can you tell me what one of those points was? There's a lot of points. We had an intellectual property lawsuit. What was that? I don't know, 2015, 2016, that was total BS. We were on our last legs there, getting rid of like our COO at one point who had been with us a little while, but it was pretty toxic. That was a really, really difficult time. I mean, there's just so many times throughout it. Go into depth on one. Yeah. So, I mean, around that lawsuit time, like we had to like let go of like the few on staff. We'd ask someone to not take salaries. Ashley and I stopped paying ourselves. We'd eat a loan from an investor and you were still making it happen, but you're kind of like, why? This is a lot to go through. It's a lot of stress to have. There's a lot of self-doubt too that happens, I think, uh, throughout the process. You can look around and see, oh, well, this 
this person did this or this person raised this much money. I mean, another good example is like when you're fundraising at first and like you don't know what you're doing and it's really challenging and you look around and you're like, well, this person just raised $5 million for the, the worst app you've ever heard <laughs> in your life. And you know enough about the technology to be like, that doesn't even work. Like, how do they do that? And so then you start really kind of doubting yourself. So I think self-doubt is a big part of it. And it's taken me a lot of years to be able to step back like I can now, even through the really turbulent times and just know that things are going to work out or that you're doing all that you can and getting frustrated and getting down on yourself and running through worst case scenarios doesn't really do much for anyone and especially not for you. But that's been a really hard won experience. So when you were like not taking salaries and letting go what what was the path to like redemption almost like what was the path to to coming out of that a flurry of activity that's like the whole thing like it almost goes exactly contrary to what i just said like we were reaching out to every potential client like you are knocking on every single door trying to make something happen with investors with potential clients we were working insane hours to try and make something happen just something materialize and did something materialize there was not like a moment that like pulled us out we just kind of kept plodding along and like just said we've worked too hard to have them like take us out for something that's like completely out of our control and total BS. Instead of throwing in the towel when everything was going wrong, Ben and Ashley worked harder. They persevered in the face of failure. I think this struggle illustrates why a strong co-founder relationship is so valuable. Ben and Ashley's friendship and professional relationship is what allowed Ventana to survive. When everything was stacked against them, they had to know that there was someone in their corner. And that's when a co-founder comes in. More than technical know-how, a co-founder helps carry the heavy emotional burden of entrepreneurship. And ultimately, that is the burden most neglected and the burden that often breaks most entrepreneurs before they can get their ideas off the ground. Going through all this, these trials and tribulations and building this company from the ground up, but it also even seems like you're building multiple companies because you've like, you know, zigzagged all over to get to where you are now. How do you think that's changed your relationship with your co-founder, Ashley? Like Very few people are prepared for how reliant you become on this other person and like the level of intimacy that is shared because things are hitting the fan. Like you can't tell employees. You don't want to tell your investors a lot of times. We always joked that it's like being married. I mean, like we share a bank account. Sometimes like you feel like the people that work for you are like the kids when there's an issue or a problem (laughs) and you're like, oh my gosh, what are we going to do? And there's divvying up the shared responsibilities. So I think it's just a massive commitment. And um, we've been really fortunate with each other that no one's ever doubted that the other one is like doing their best and, and trying their hardest with things. Like we've both had to course correct each other over the years with various things. Things, but there's a level of trust that exists. It's, it's a very strong shared experience. What do you think about your experience or your personalities has made this tough endeavor bring you closer together when it would tear most people apart? That's a tough question. I think sometimes you don't even know why. That's a big thing that is really a challenge, I think, in entrepreneurship. It always seems so clear and people talk about the why of why they're doing something, but I don't think it really is that clear for most people. A lot of times businesses start because people think it's a good idea and that's why they're doing it. They're like, I think this is a good idea. Some businesses start because they think they're going to change the world, but a lot of people think it's going to start because it's going to be a good idea and it might be kind of fun to do and they might make a bunch of money. I'd say at times throughout the business, we didn't have the why, but we just, we, the alternative was worse 
I'd say that's probably one of the things about our personalities is that neither one of us wanted, we'd been there, we'd worked for someone else. We, we saw that path and the path that some of our friends were taking in things. We knew it wasn't who we are or what resonated with us. And so looking at that and going, we don't want to be that. We want to be this is probably what got us through a lot of it. In addition to knowing what you want to be, you should know why you want to be it. Having an ethos behind your idea is the fuel that propels the founders and the team. Sometimes you have to deceive yourself for just a moment. Suspend your disbelief. Suspend the part of you that narrates every way you can fail. Once you convince yourself of your imminent success and the world-changing value of your company, then, and only then, can you mobilize a team and truly change the world. With a paycheck, you can inspire someone to work for maybe a year. But with an idea, a mantra, a purpose, you can inspire someone for a lifetime. I think Ben knows this. Could you define why you are here today? The team, the people that I work with and we've brought into this business and have been part of our shared success and and feeling excited to share ideas with them and excited to build new things and also excited to bring the company to a point of success that they really can see some return on the fruits of their labor. That's super motivating and super important to me. And the, the why for the company is we see such incredible potential with the way that commerce is changing. Right now, it's experiencing products. That's what we're really focused on is how do you change the shopping experience from 2D images to an experience? The way that you're going to do that is through the future of spatial computing, through mixed reality, through augmented reality. And being able to give our businesses access to do that is pretty exciting. And it's a really, really fast moving space. And it's a really difficult space. And there's a lot of technical challenges. And that that gets our team pretty jazzed up. You, you said your team's jazzed up. But like what? How, how how do you even motivate a team? How do you inspire them? How do you get to them to buy into the vision and the future of this company? Because I feel like that's something that a lot of um, early founders struggle with is like motivating that team to the level that you're motivated. It starts with like you being really enthusiastic about it and just selling it the same way you'd sell an investor or anyone else. So you just got to like, you've got to show that you really believe in it. And if they trust you, they'll believe in it too. And so I think it's like first starts with building trust with your team and getting them to believe in you as a leader and your not even just your vision, but just you as a person that you care about what's good for them. You care about what's good for the client and that you are willing to work hard and are intelligent enough to kind of make the right decisions around it. Once you identify an opportunity with something and you get really excited about it, it's a lot easier to get them on board. Something that we've gotten a lot better at doing is explaining the why, trying to move away from just tasking people and say, I need this done and putting it in Asana. Then they give you a product and okay, that that transaction with that employee is complete. But when you explain why you're doing what you're doing, why they are doing the fifth iteration of this, why that is so important, that builds trust and that builds ownership. Talking to Ben about the struggles of Ventana's past, I'm interested in the future. What will the future of this company be like? What are you most excited about with this company for the future? We're so excited for the new hardware options that are coming online because we think it's just going to blow the doors wide open in terms of like opportunities. Everything from virtual try-on to see what a modification on your car might look like. We're getting there and our software is enabling small companies and large companies to do that. Those are like very individual uses. The compilation of individual uses, I feel, and especially as something as revolutionary as like this technology changes social structure. How do you see this technology influencing society as a whole? I think the hope 
with some of it is that by essentially making your phone transparent, whether that's through glasses or maybe just straight up mobile devices, that you'll be able to be more engaged in the real world. The reality is technology is not leaving our lives. We're going to be looking at a screen one way or another. I think that's pretty well solidified by this point. And so I think the challenge now is how do you integrate that in a way that can kind of be an overlay or additive to the quality of your life. We've built a lot of experiences for a lot of people over the years. We've done holograms of Lexus. We've done holograms of drones, done things with Roger Federer and Kobe Bryant and and all sorts of really big brands and, and really big people. But we always have had a problem with getting these assets from a brand and actually being able to build the experience is always pretty painful and pretty much a nightmare. So now what we're really focused on that's been getting a huge amount of traction and we really believe is the future of the business is being able to deliver your 3D asset of a product wherever you want it to live. So if that's 3D on the web, if that's an AR experience, if that's a mixed reality experience, we will optimize and deliver that asset in the format that it needs to be in wherever that needs to happen. And for us, it's been painful, but it's been exciting to continue to have these sorts of like transitions. The, the whole goal has been you're trying to move towards like the largest possible market you can tackle. What we were trying to do is like, how do we keep breaking through? How do we keep pivoting to what our customers want ultimately to a place that achieves scale? And that's where we really realize we are. It's a really exciting time because we're on the precipice of these new hardware devices coming out. Apple's coming out with whatever the latest version of the iPhone with significantly enhanced AR capabilities. And there's a whole slew of brands that want to be a part of that, but can't. So we're really excited about going from us building these super interactive and like fun experiences via hologram to being able to be that bridge that works for the entire holographic universe. Finally, I asked what advice Ben has for you guys, the people listening to this podcast. You battled with the nine to five a lot mm-hmm. before you started this. Yeah. What advice would you give to someone who wanted to quit their nine to five and uh, is thinking about working on an idea that they're passionate about, but they're not sure whether they should commit? Uh, get ready. <laughs> it's, it's an all or nothing proposition. Half in, half out is probably not going to work. It's going to be way harder than you think it is. It's probably going to be way different than you think it is. So as much as one can prepare for some of those things, that was the thing in college I thought a lot of. If this person can do this in six years, I can do it in three, right? Which was so stupid. (laughs) It was so stupid and arrogant. It's going to take time. It's most likely going to take a lot of time and a lot of effort, and there's going to be a lot of things outside your control. So you better be willing to commit and kind of keep plotting forward because there's going to be a lot of waves that are going to rock your boat. How do you keep motivated throughout those waves? Sometimes it's just the simple promise that you made that you have to deliver on and you're a person who wants to keep your word. Sometimes it's the bigger vision and wanting to wanting to really accomplish something with that. And sometimes it's the team. I think it changes the same as everything else in life. I think we oversimplify a lot of times and I think it's pretty dynamic. Motivation's as dynamic as anything else. Ventana has been seeing a lot of success, which has been the result of a lot of pivots. Initially, they were working with DJs to live stream concerts. Then they pivoted to holograms for concerts. Then holograms for brands. And now software for AR and VR. Through all of these pivots, they have become Fortune 500's go-to company for virtual reality experiences, with companies including Intel, Microsoft, Disney, and Nike. With that, let me roll out the red carpet once more for Ben to introduce himself. My name's Ben Conway, and I'm the co-founder and COO of Ventana. We simplify, enhance, and distribute 3D assets anywhere you need them. 